If you're a local government enthusiast who's looking for fresh conversations over a hot cup of morning coffee or tea or while you're driving or walking the dog, you do you. You're in the right place. Welcome to the Local Gov Cafe podcast, hosted by Susan Gardner and Ann Mitchell. This podcast is devoted to having conversations that matter, covering the full menu of municipal topics. You'll discover guests who bring insight and inspiration to the issues that drive and challenge communities. We'll be talking with leaders in policy, practice, consulting, and academia to put a spotlight on civic government and the people who make it all happen at the local level. Good morning, Anne. How are you this morning? Great, Susan. How are you? I'm doing well. Very excited about our conversation today. Well, today we're going to talk about priority-based budgeting, and with us we have Kelly Rudick. Good morning, Kelly. Morning to you both. Great to be here. Great. We're great to have you. Kelly is the owner of It's Logical Consulting. Kelly is a University of Alberta graduate who majored in economics, and he has a certificate as well in local government. Kelly worked for Strathcona County for over 30 years as the Director of Corporate Planning, and he received an award from CAMA, Canadian Association of Municipal Administrators, which I liken to the Cross-Canada CAO group, and he received this for the implementation of his priority-based budgeting system. Well, I'm excited to get started and uh, hear more. So let's begin. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks. Great to be here. Like you say, it's uh, great to be with the both of you. I've been looking forward to this. We're looking forward to it too. And today we're going to talk about something that you're an expert in, priority-based budgeting and how it's an effective tool for municipalities. Maybe uh, we could start with you giving us some background on uh, priority-based budgeting and what exactly that is. Sure. So um, I got introduced to priority-based budgeting at a conference I attended in uh, Arizona many, many years ago. I think maybe it was 2010 or 11. And I think American municipalities seem to be a little bit ahead of us sometimes on trying some new things, some innovative tools. Maybe it's because there's more of them. I don't know. But uh, um, I got introduced to the methodology and the person who who created it, which is uh, Chris Fabian and his partner, John Johnson. So uh, one is a an accountant um, and one is an engineer. And so not necessarily specifically related to budgeting, but they did some process improvement work with, with their municipality and they were wondering about the budget. They were like, at the end of the day, the budget, we balance a budget and we satisfy auditors. But Really, they didn't think that they were getting really good decision making outside of just a fiscal decision. So they created this methodology, which I think the name could be better because it's priority-based budgeting. I would put emphasis on priority and I would try to work in their decision making or something like that. Because it is, you know, you do do some costing in priority-based budgeting, but really it's a tool to align your decisions in the programs that you provide and really ensure alignment to the strategic goals that you wish to accomplish. Done well, that includes, you know, really robust uh, community engagement about priorities and actual scoring methodology for your programs so that you get 
more of a conversation about relevancy and less about maybe efficiency and effectiveness. Those are words on a chalkboard for me when not preceded by a, a relevancy and a, and a value check. So Kelly, give us a, a reason why a municipality would want to consider priority-based budgeting. Sure. So in my opinion, right now we're in this time of constraint, and I never know in a time of plenty for municipalities. So year to year, we always seem to be stressed out about not having enough resources to do the things that, that we've convinced ourselves we need to do. And so priority-based budgeting takes that into account and really stresses the value and really pushes you in the place of confirming that what you're doing is actually doing what you, you know, what you wish to achieve. So it gives you that green light to start looking at reallocation opportunities. It opens your eyes to whether you should even be the provider of a certain service. Is it something that we've just done historically and we've never really checked whether the demand is still there or whether there's another private option um, in our municipality that might provide that instead of us. So in times of constraint, I think it's even that much more important to align your resources as few as we have to make sure they're doing the most valuable things for us. And do you think, Kelly, just to expand on that a little bit, that we often just do things by rote We've always done it like this. We want to get the budget done. So would you say that priority-based budgeting expands, you know, our thought process more into how are we delivering these services? Why are we delivering these services? And makes the staff and the administration, the municipal professionals, as it were, kind of put more thought into the programs they're offering? Yeah, that's just it. In, in my conversations with municipalities, I like the term, we have a little bit of a confirmation bias right now in that we, like I said, we've convinced ourselves that we have the right bundle of services um, that we're providing right now. Um, so, you know, there's that. There's also a little bit of we're risk averse for the most part in uh, municipal government. I, I think we're deathly afraid of making a mistake, right? So to do this, I think you need to do it well and you need to be very fully, fully intentional about it and mindful. Um, you, can, you can do this too quickly and run people over and, and you know break a culture because you're going too fast. So I think you need to be really thinking about the pace at which you, you set. Um, but I, I think you, that doesn't mean don't do it, right? Um, just don't get stuck in that. We've always, done, like I said, we've always done it last year. We did it like this last year. We got the we got the budget approved. It was balanced, and our auditors were happy. Well, there's more. There's more to it than that. I think it's a very powerful decision making tool um, done well. It sounds like there's uh, a lot of benefits to taking this approach. Maybe you can tell us how long has this been around, and why don't we see it being used more broadly in municipalities. So it's been around longer, like I said, in the, in the States. I know that they were doing it in the early 210s. Um, up here in, in north of the border, I believe we were the first in Strathcona County to f- what they call fully implement. There's stages of implementation that you can decide that you want to um, try to achieve. 
we did it in 213. So it's been around for a while. There is a groundswell of several municipalities now in the Alberta capital region that are doing it. Why hasn't it caught on? I think there's a go back to that bias of, of municipal governance in that, you know, we're, we're sometimes reticent to take on new things, whether it's busyness or whether it's, you know, it's just piled on. We're, we're very reluctant to let things go as well, um, just because maybe, you know, you look at the demand or you look at why change it if it's not broken sort of thing. Um, and, you know, maybe it has something to do a little bit too with, you know, public right now in general, there's this need for immediacy of results. And this work, you know, done well, won't provide you an immediate change. Uh, I think it's a cultural tool. I think it's, a, it's an enormously powerful best practice but you need to be respectful of the pace of change. So um, I would say it might take one, two, possibly even three budget cycles for you to really nail it. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that, that might work against it. Um, and I think maybe the word needs to get out there. Maybe one potentially larger municipality needs to really nail it and start having a bit of a narrative about doing different and doing better. Um, I know city of Edmonton in, in, in Alberta here is, is trying their second kick at it. And so I'm hopeful that, that maybe there's some narrative comes out of a, that, that large municipality that might help spur on others. I'm just going to jump in with a, just a clarifying question, maybe Kelly. So if we were looking at it from somebody who's outside of local government or not, doesn't have the knowledge of local government, for example, if, can we use like a program similar to a recreational program and you could kind of walk us through how that would work with priority-based budgeting, or is that too simple of an example? No, I think that's a very timely example. So for me, the area of recreation is something I think that municipalities should probably have a, a better, uh, more, more forensic look at, to be honest. Um, some municipalities, um, because we're reluctant to get it rid of some programs, have a long list of things that we provide now. And some of them are bleeding into what I would call niche or boutique recreation opportunities, right? So we've kind of strayed away from, from maybe that core recreation um, provision, which is maybe health benefits, maybe some social benefits. And probably unintentionally, we're getting more and more in competition with the private marketplace things like yoga or hot yoga, even I know is, is, you know, these things I've heard have been provided by some municipalities when private can do that. Right. So I think what priority-based budgeting would do in the recreation area is it would, you'd value and score those different areas in recreation and align them instead of to, you know, I don't know whether there's a big desire to, to have the longer list than anybody else. I just don't know why you would, uh, maybe there is some demand there, but let's say pickleball is a great example for me in my municipality. It wasn't really high on anybody's radar for the longest time, but then there was this demand and there wasn't a private opportunity. So we started doing pickleball. 
but I don't, I didn't see anything come off the table that was maybe, you know, something where we could reallocate time, effort, and resources to up our pickleball game. We didn't stop doing niche swimming programs or we didn't stop doing yoga. Um, it just was added. So what, what priority-based budgeting would do is it would, it would, identify that demand and identify also areas where there wasn't that much demand. So you could, could look for those reallocation opportunities. Can you just give us some of the conditions that need to exist for it to be for priority-based budgeting to be successful? That's a really good question because um, I think some may have tried it and, and not had the success maybe that uh, we originally did in Strathcona County. To go back to your uh, intro of me, it was really but nice, but I would give a lot of credit to my team at Strathcona County. It was the team that got that award. And, um, you know, we had the conditions for success at the time. Um, I had socialized it with my, my uh, organization for upwards of two years before uh, we, we, you know, started it. And what started it was a very eager council, eager for change. We had an, uh, a whole organizational um review done and it identified that we need to be better in the budget area as well as our business planning and strategic planning. So, you know, and at that time it just made sense then if we're looking at all three of those, what is something that aligns all of those together? So a big desire for change from council. Um, we may, we went out of our way to make sure council understood what was in it for them. Right. So council, there was some more transparency. Like we were very open with the public on what we were doing. The move to look at your services from a program lens is, is it's, a, it's a subtle change, but one of the things you look at when you're doing um, program work is wear a citizen hat. Are we, are we doing too much internal speak so that the citizens don't know what we're talking about? So we very intentionally kind of invited in a subtle way the community in to to that work um your cao your one employee of council needs to be fully and you know fully on board with this um, it can fall down um, in a big way if if the support from that person and their executive team is not there they need to be fully on board as well um, and Outside of that, I think you need probably someone like me in the organization who was that champion outside of those two groups. So I was a corporate champion who had the ear of all of our other departments um, because I don't know about you, Anne, or you've probably heard a lot of this too, Susan, is budgets sometimes in a municipality become a bit of a blood sport at the end of the year, and it's a very competitive environment. And so for those have departments who have been very successful in that ring, again, what's in it for me? Why would I change? So you kind of have to get them excited about innovation, get excited about, you know, mining for value instead of, you know, having the shiniest, uh, most exciting PowerPoint or, you know, sell job to get to get more budget. So maybe tell us a little bit more about that, how priority-based budgeting affects the, the culture, the organizational mindset inside the municipal corporation. So because the priorities are driven by predominantly council, but through the lens of the community, it gets you thinking about, you know, reaching 
return on investment for the for the consumer, which is a citizen for us, right? The community. And so when you think about return on investment, it's much harder to do that in a, in a public setting than it is for private. So you start thinking outside the box as far as what is it, what is our big why? What why do we even exist? And, and what's the value that we bring? And so we started thinking about overall community well-being and, and get individual directors and departments thinking about what do I bring to that conversation? How do I support well-being? Um, and to do that, we asked then um, our council, you have the ear of the community. And so build some priorities around that well-being as well. Articulate for us what you think the community is looking for in long-term well-being benefits. And so they were in the, in the um, we had actual goal statements and not just words. Like I've seen some strategic plans that are very generic in that you'll see the typical words, environment, social, um, financial, but not, an, not a statement that is uniquely that municipality and very recognized by um, internal and external audiences. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a really intriguing way to not sell what you're doing at the department level, but to align it and to really demonstrate the value that it's bringing and, and invite directors to make some really courageous decisions. You know, I, I think that's why it's critical when you're hiring to think leadership because just doing the popular and easy thing, I think you can, you know, maybe you don't look for that individual that, that rises to the top as far as leadership. Because for me, leadership is doing the hard things because they're the right things to do. And when you talk about that a little bit, Kelly, we often hear about the different departments and you mentioned it being a blood sport. And I am laughing because in one of my past municipalities, we were doing a presentation for uh, to council on where their departments were. And, and my department heads were all, all of a sudden, one of them was making a PowerPoint and I was like, nobody asked for PowerPoints. And then the other one was making a PowerPoint and it was a little bit of a competition. And you mentioned the blood sport, but ironically, the one department, he, what he did, which I thought was just priceless, he put a whole pie chart and he put this little sliver and he goes, that's those guys, that's, and this is me, this is all I get for the budget, but it was so effective, right? But do you not think that priority-based budget and the mindset brings all the departments more cohesively working like for the broader vision of the organization? Would you say that? That's what I call one of the intangible results of doing this is that culture building around team, around community, around corporate. So, you know, it, we're all in it together. And going back to my thought about community well-being, if we're all rowing the boat in the same direction to try to achieve the most um, return in, in as far as well-being. I mean, I see places like I'm, I'm like I said, I'm hopeful for City of Edmonton because for a long time they've been advocates for affordable housing. And although that doesn't necessarily um, align with a municipal responsibility, there are things obviously that we do municipally that we can impact affordable housing. 
So my hope is with this priority-based budgeting lens that they have, the whole corporation could look at everything that they do and how can we te- tweak things? How can we do things, you know, to, you know, bring some more value in that space? So yeah, it's it's a great tool for team, for, you know, um, that one singular goal. What is it that we're all doing together? Um, it, it can be pretty powerful. There's some pretty amazing um, examples in the States right now. Um, Pittsburgh, I think they're using an equity lens to talk about priority-based budgeting. Um, others are using it for big climate change um, initiatives. Can you expand on that equity lens? Yeah, so, um, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a big topic right now, um, I think, worldwide. Um, but for us in Canada, maybe relatively new, I would say, at the municipal level. And um, of course, um, you know, reconciliation is big right now, and I think it should be, obviously. Um, but those are some of the things where you can, again, look at the things that you're doing today and how are they aligning to these new deliverables that we think, uh, you know, are very important and are important. And so some of the more traditional things, you give the green light to maybe have them fall off because they're just not as important anymore. You know, things change. And in this instance, lots of these big issues that might have been off the off the radar for municipal governments, they can they can get their way into see their way into the limelight because of um, you know a look at things from from a value perspective, as opposed to like I said, we're just costs are escalating and growth is occurring, so we'll just do what we did last year and cost them out differently. I think that's the danger we see for all organizations, isn't it? That you know. We'll just continue doing things, the same things that we've always done. But the reality, especially for governments, is that you're going to do new things. You got to say goodbye to some of those old things. There's there's only a, a stomach for, for so much in terms of taxes. And citizens need to understand, too, that to have new things, some of those old things are going to have to go. Susan, for me, a classic example right now is this return to work, right? So for municipal government, it could and should look a lot different. Like our traditional, we're growing, means another building and another parking lot or whatever the case may be. I remember having these same conversations upwards of 10 years ago, this remote working option, but it just, you know, the the culture that at that time was, Maybe there wasn't enough trust that someone would work when they're at home. They would take advantage. Well, a let's give the people the benefit of the doubt. Let's let's start in that position of trust. We've proved that we can do it now because of necessity, and so I hope that maybe even some of these buildings that are that are that are right now built, overbuilt in my opinion. Uh, maybe some of that space could be given back to the community. And as far as, you know, we don't need a new senior center. We've already got a space. You know, we can give that back to the community in a, in a pretty interesting way. One of my pet peeves is complacency. And, you know, I'm wondering, do you think this priority-based budgeting is a counteraction to complacency because it forces everyone to look at the services we're providing and instead of just doing it again. It can be, I think, if you add that ingredient of leadership. 
Because if you do all of this work and then you don't make that decision to get rid of something or reallocate, really, you're just, you have two different streams of budgeting going on. Then you have the auditor stream, which you, that doesn't go away. You'll still have to satisfy an audit. But then you have another way of looking at it through a program lens and a priority lens. But if at the end of the day, you don't make a different decision, I would say, you know, you've gone through the effort for no benefit. So yes, I think it is, can get rid of complacency if the right conditions are there to succeed. And one of them is, is leadership. You, you have to make decisions based on evidence, based on alignment, but you have, you, you have to make some decisions on getting rid of something that's not as relevant anymore. One question I did have too, is what if your council or your CAO was not on board how can you implement this initiative or maybe kind of make them understand or explain to them the benefits of it and get your council and your senior leadership team on board if it was something that you wanted to implement? I think for me, like it didn't happen overnight, that's for sure. I had to socialize this for, I, I think, two calendar years. So I just kept building a coalition of the willing is what I called it. And it, it's actually one of the reasons why my company's called It's Logical. I think if you take the time and you explain this out, uh, it's rare that I come, you know, I talk to somebody and they come to the conclusion that it isn't logical and doesn't make sense. Always look to answer what's in it for them. So what's in it for a, for a, a CAO, for instance? Well, it's, it's still pretty innovative. It's a powerful tool to instead of coming year after year and asking for more. And I mean, you know, the game that gets played, you ask for way more than you need, hoping that you get some of what you asked for and the dance in between to me, that's very frustrating, but that's what we do. We, we come with, you know, not legitimate asks. And then at the end of the day, maybe we don't even get legitimate resources, but that's all without that new lens, right? So it's, it's, I think it breeds leadership within the organization. I think it builds that culture of team. Um, so just line up all of the, all of the pluses um, and, and hope that, you know, lightning strikes and you get all of those conditions for success and off, off you go. It's funny when you said about, you know, the, the, the goal to always ask for more. I remember uh, taking an economics class and, you know, the professor said uh, for, you know, uh, public sector managers, the goal is always to maximize your budget. <laughs> and I thought that was just such a funny observation to be making, you know, in a room full of public uh, public sector mm -hmm. managers. But it is that kind of attitude that starts to breed some cynicism for citizens, right, uh, inside the community. And so, you know, do you think in a way this uh, can serve to also combat some of that citizen cynicism and kind of align all those things in a positive way? Yeah, I think there's all sorts of legitimacy right now for the citizen to critique government. And I mean, I worked in it for 30 years. I'm still working at it just in a different capacity. So I have all sorts of time for public servants. And I love the fact that I'm a public servant. Yet, if we aren't critical of ourselves, if we don't look inwardly at, at doing things differently and better, 
I think it leads to exactly what you're saying. Well, they're not trying hard enough. I'm not seeing enough effort. I'm just seeing year after year, the continual ask for more. And, and in this time of constraint um, in our province, especially, especially, but I, I know it's, it's not unique to us. Enough is enough. I've heard it and it's legitimate, right? So the way to look at, you know, mining for value and comparing ourselves to maybe other private offerings, like I know there was some effort to say, you know, what do you pay for a cup of coffee? You know, we will gladly pay five or six bucks for a, for a juice, a juice or a coffee these days where, you know, what are the bundle of things that you get on a monthly basis compared to a cable bill or those kind of conversations. But then you go that next step to show the alignment as well as, you know, demonstrate, have some successes. I think an early on success that we had in Strathcona County that I might share if, 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 it's, if it's good is we looked at our fire services, right? And had we not gone through this effort of really looking at what we provided, we would not have found out that we were providing first aid services for free a few times during the year to the public. Well, we come to understand that the department was getting letters from the private operator in town saying, you know, why are you offering this A, when I can? B, why are you doing it for free when I charge for the service? And so when we started asking ourselves those questions and fire was asking for more in a certain area, they came to the conclusions themselves to say, look, we're going to get out of that game and we're reallocating that time, effort and resource up to something that we think we need more. in." So I think just the changing the narrative and I would look for ways to invite the public in. We had another look at the things that we provide and here was, here's what they are you know, have maybe do have them do their own alignment exercise. I've always wondered what that would look like, you know, would it, how different would it look from what the subject matter experts think internally and adjust and, and, you know, show them that we're listening. I think too, Kelly, we've recently implemented at our organization, a public engagement policy. And really, when you say we're inviting the public in, I think sometimes we as municipalities, we don't do a great enough job of saying, what are we expecting? And we have this whole spectrum here. We're just informing you. We're changing this bylaw, da, 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 da. And all the way to complete engagement. And I think so many municipalities miss that mark where they, you know, and then the public says, well, we told you and nothing happened. Mm -hmm. So I think that other piece that's missing a lot of the time, too, is that understanding of the public. We want to hear from you. But this is what it is. We just are informing you or other spectrum, complete engagement where your input is going to make changes to these programs. Would you agree with that? Yeah, not an IAP2 professional in any way, but I certainly work with a lot of them. And there's that continuum of engagement. Absolutely. And I, I think that needs to be part of your narrative. And I think this tool um, is one that's well set up for the the one side of the spectrum where you said you could actually let it, you know, demonstrate that their input is going to change and make a decision or help impact a decision. So you touched on the fire story, but can you give us another example of a priority-based budget, like a success story? Can you give us another example of that? Sure. Another one that comes to mind, and this would probably, I would put this in the category of leadership 
uh, a demonstration of leadership. Again, back to my time in Strathcona County. Year after year, we were looking at our resources and, and for a couple or three years, maybe we were having a pinch point in the organization, which was procurement. So you know that the expectations in procurement just keep getting higher and higher every year for municipalities. And it was a real, um, you know, it was getting in the way of progress on a lot of our projects. And so we knew we needed manpower there, resources there. But year after year, this, this area just wasn't rising to the top priority. But party-based budgeting comes along and our development, uh, our planning and development director, recognizing that we had this corporate need, realized in the budget that she had been bringing two FTEs forward year after year, lo and behold, never getting them filled because of the marketplace, found a way to, to get the work done without those two resources. And one year she just, she actually put up her hand in a big budget meeting we were having. And she said, you know, I know we're early on in this priority-based budgeting game, but if I understand it correctly, these two FDE that I've, a don't believe I need anymore, found a way to make it work. Could we reallocate those two resources up to our procurement area, which is clearly identified as a, as a critical need for the organization? And the eyes were wide open around the table because somebody was giving away resources from their own area for, for a corporate good. And uh, it happened that day. And, and we started, I think within a week, we were... Um, you know, the ads were out for a couple of FTEs in our procurement area. And so that for me was pretty powerful for, you know, we were just like everybody else before that in that the departments would line up and battle it out. And, you know, it was very rare that someone would give, unless there was horse trading, if something was coming back in return, you know, that game too, right? But this one was for corporate need and corporate good and everybody benefits. And it was, it was a really good story that I use to this day. That's a great example. And I appreciate how you've brought your, your personal experience with this as well. It makes it very compelling. And it does sound like priority-based budgeting can be a way to take municipal decision-making to the next level and really connect the budget to the values and goals of the organization. We so appreciate you joining us today, Kelly, and telling these stories and uh, giving us a little more insight into what that process looks like. Yeah, thanks Thanks to both of you. Very grateful for A, the opportunity um, to chat about maybe a little bit about what I'm doing, but probably more importantly, um, back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, if someone listens to this and, and they get started, that would be great. I would love for every municipality be, to be doing this. Thanks for joining us in the Local Gov Cafe. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to share it on social media or tell a friend. And we hope you'll join us next time as we welcome our next guest. You won't want to miss it.